0: Hello, this is Rabbi Thomas Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue, bringing you part three of the Separation of Christianity from Judaism class. <clears throat> we'll be covering uh, scripture out of Matthew uh, and Luke today. Last week we looked into Mark and we found how the progression of enmity between Yeshua and the Jewish religious leaders developed. We learned it was not so much what he said, but how he said it that was the root cause of this division. Yeshua refused to teach in the accepted manner of the establishment. He was a rebel, and we see that neither side ever bridged the gulf created. This week we'll look into the accounts of Luke and Matthew. Yeshua made no concession that the Pharisees might have accepted, and they were not prepared to withdraw their opposition to a teacher who would not conform to the accepted rules of interpretation even more a teacher who preserved his own authority between what should be observed and what might be neglected as pertains to the oral traditions yeshua was the first back to the bible proponent to the exclusion of everything else we now have to try to define the extent of the conflict and to disentangle from the scriptural narratives that which belongs to the event and that which reflects the period of the writer Remember that all the writings available to us today are numerous copies of the original manuscripts and even further redactions of those copies, which contain biases and prejudice reflecting the attitudes of the authorities centuries later. Why is this important to us? Well, if we are to understand how Christianity came to its current understandings and doctrines of the so-called New Testament and how Judaism related to the events leading up to Yeshua's execution, it is necessary necessary to understand the historical development of this conflict. If we read the Synoptic Gospels in the order of their appearance, there is an unmistakable increase in the hostility toward Judaism and the quote-unquote law. Since these are not eyewitness accounts, and we know that there are no two manuscripts that agree, We might suppose that this mounting hostility reflected the attitude of the writers, their sponsors, or the authorities themselves, and was redacted even later by others to reflect the changing attitude of the leadership of the Gentile church, as the church became more and more hostile to the Jews and the laws of God. And I'm talking the laws of God and not the oral Torah. Back in Mark... We saw he dealt with explicit questions, and he shows a reasonable historical development of the conflict. It seems to be a more realistic portrayal of the events that unfolded. In Mark, the first written, there is no general unprovoked attack against Judaism or the then leaders. However, in Luke, we find he frequently colors the incidents recorded by Mark. An example in Mark where he relates that the people of Nazareth were offended by Yeshua but Luke adds that they attempted to cast him over a clip and places it all at the very beginning of Yeshua's ministry where there would not have been any reason for such hostility at that point. Luke exacerbates the incident and his chronological order seems to disagree with the actual events. We have to ask ourselves, does this reflect a later anti-Semitism of certain factions of the quote church? We find also he gives additional emphasis to the healing of the palsied man. He includes several occasions where Yeshua was invited to meals sponsored by Pharisees, and these writings are used to illustrate the conflict, even though they imply a certain fellowship. Luke, on the other hand, also recorded the Pharisees' warning. Yeshua's of Herod's plan to seize him. But for our purposes, the most important addition he makes to Mark's narrative is the strong condemnation in the eleventh chapter of formalism and its accompanying vices. With Matthew, there is much more noticeable bias. This Gospel appears to have been written to convince Jewish people that Yeshua was the Messiah and that in Him the promises made to Israel had passed from the Jews to the Christian Church, a doctrine later published by Christian Church called Church Replacement Theology, which even now some churches are repudiating since the emergence of the State of Israel. This change in tone is illustrated at the very beginning of the book. Luke and Matthew both record the preaching of John the Baptist. Let's compare them. In Luke it reads, He said therefore to the multitudes that went out to be baptized of him, Ye offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come. In Matthew's version, there is a change and additions. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea, and the entire region round about the Jordan. And they were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said unto them, Ye offspring of vipers, who has warned you of the wrath to come. He adds the Pharisees and Sadducees both who were proponents of the law and therefore ever branded as legalists by the Gentile church. Unfortunately, the church also included God's law in this characterization, not recognizing the distinction between the oral law of which both Yeshua and Shaul or Paul spoke against when it conflicted with God's laws which were not abrogated when he was sacrificed on the execution stake. One error begets another. In all the incidents he takes from Mark, there's some slight change accentuating the opposition between Yeshua and the Jewish authorities. The incident of the centurion's servant with its condemnation of the lack of faith in Israel is set at the very beginning of the narrative, immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. Even before any encounter with the scribes, or Pharisees is recorded, there is strong condemnation of them in the Sermon itself, although they are not mentioned by name, but only as the hypocrites. We see that much of our misunderstanding comes from the manner and setting of the incidents. Neither in Luke or Matthew do they have the naturalness of Mark. There is only one passage in Mark that goes beyond a condemnation of formalism and of the Pharisaic attitude to the law and that passage presents certain difficulties. Yeshua accuses them of rejecting commandments of God and that they may keep their traditions. To illustrate this, Mark gives the law of Korban. But the attitude that Yeshua condemns was also the attitude condemned by Judaism, and that which he approves is the Pharisaic interpretation of the original. When the violence of the conflict between Jews and Gentile believers which existed at the time the Gospels were written, is realized. It ceases to be surprising that there is additional vehemence in the denunciations put into the mouth of Yeshua. As to his own teaching, we can be certain that he did denounce unsparingly that attitude which did not discriminate between the written Torah of God and the oral Torah, that is, the traditions of men, and that attitude which demanded unquestioning obedience of the whole. He did not reject the idea of interpreting the law, for he himself interpreted it freely himself. But he did reject some of their interpretations and refused to give, quote-unquote, their traditions, the force of Torah itself. Amazingly, later on the Christian church in the form of Roman Catholicism themselves adopted the premise that canon law superseded Scripture. This now brings us to the crucifixion. It was the law not the crucifixion that was the basis of the separation of christianity from judaism it's only later that the words which typically appear in matthew only quote his blood be on us and on our children unquote, came to assume their terrible importance and that the christian hostility to the jews was based upon the quote unquote, cross to the extent that they still today characterize jews as christ killers But I tell you it's a long step to not accept the teachings of a new preacher to the plotting of his death. And we see from the betrayal to the execution stake there is no mention of the Pharisees. In Mark the scribes are included but omitted by Matthew, but neither mention the Pharisees. It was not the teaching of Yeshua that led to his death, it was political. The Jewish authorities feared his popularity his threat to their privileged position and his way of negating the oral Torah, which assured that position. From all accounts, his teaching was undermining their authority. The Romans, on the other hand, feared his popular support, fearing an uprising from the dissentant Jews who were forever plotting a revolution against Rome. This popular young leader at the head. What better time? than at Passover when Jews were there from all over the world. The city was teeming with Jews, and the Romans had called in numerous support divisions in case of an uprising. Then Yeshua's entrance into Jerusalem was that of a king, with the populace crying Hosanna and laying palm branches in his path. To add fuel to the fire, Yeshua almost caused a riot at the temple, cleaning out the money lenders and merchants. Does it not stand to reason that Rome feared him as a source of creating instability to their regime? And in fact, in Isaiah, it identifies Rome as the ones responsible for crucifying Yeshua. Rome is Edom. Edom is the Catholic Church. We also must look to what's reported in the Gospels as to the judicial procedure, with skeptical eyes, for it does not conform to the known judicial procedure of the time. We see that the Jewish leaders apparently ignited the proceedings, and the Romans passed sentence and execution. In my opinion, this was probably a bilateral procedure, planned and executed by those most to gain by Yeshua's execution. The Romans by removing a dangerous adversary, and the corrupt Jewish leadership by removing a real threat to their autonomy. Did not the Roman guards accompany the temple guard to arrest Yeshua? If it had been a unilateral movement on the part of the temple leadership, no Romans would have been present. Each of the Gospel narrative presents special characteristics, and again it's Mark, the first written, who gives the most reasonable account. Luke, who emphasizes throughout the universal appeal of Yeshua, is clearly anxious to present the Romans in a favorable light as possible. Pilate twice attempted to set Yeshua free, and even Herod is introduced to support him. Matthew is equally interested to present the Jews in an unfavorable light and adds the words already referred to. Here we have it. The law and the cross, or actually execution stake. These are the two rocks on which Christianity and Judaism divided, but it must not be thought that the separation became immediately apparent. It's possible to see the gulf widening in the book of Acts and in the epistles of Paul. And we're going to look into that. First, I want to tell you that because of an agenda to de-Judaize the quote-unquote church, Christian leaders began to form a theology and invent doctrines that were not present in the first assemblies. These were formed mostly on the writings of Paul, who has been championed by the Christian church as its architect and darling. It even talks about the fact that many will be led to their destruction for misinterpreting Paul. Some even put Paul above Yeshua. We see that Peter recognized the peril of misinterpretation of Paul's writings, and I want to read from 2 Peter 3.16, where he addresses what Paul has written. Now I'm going to read from three translations. Here we go. As uh, also in all his Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. This is in 2 Peter 3.16. Here's another translation. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which there are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. That's the New King James Version. You, therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your your own stability. And then another. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them to these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, Be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men, and fall from your secure position." That's the NIV version. Now for the uh, NASB version. As also in all his letters, speaking in them to these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard lest, being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. So, like Peter, I caution you that you too should be on guard about false doctrines, for these doctrines have the force of separating you from the grace of God. Well, Next week we'll continue with the influx of Gentiles into the early believing assemblies and how it changed the face of Messianic Judaism, then called Nazarets, and led to what is Hellenistic Christianity today. Shalom ve Brachas.